0: It's TechBiter Worldwide for the week of March 23rd, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. This week, it's another one of those single-topic shows. I presented a program on podcasting for the Columbus Computer Society earlier this week, and I thought it would be a worthwhile topic for this program. Now, it might be a good idea to define exactly what I mean by podcasting. This is not what happens when you become annoyed with your iPod and toss it out the window, although that could be considered podcasting. Podcasting is another way for content providers, those are the folks who know something about a particular topic, to provide that knowledge to content consumers, those who want to know something about that particular topic. It's simply another way to share information, another medium to join with the existing old media, books, Newspapers, broadcast, and the existing new media, websites, web radio, blogs, and streaming media. So why does podcasting exist? Well, why does any medium exist? It fills a need. Now it's important to note that I'm not going to be talking about every possible way to accomplish every possible aspect of creating and distributing a podcast. I will tell you mainly about the way I accomplish these things. There are other ways, many other ways, probably lots of better ways. I'll be talking about my ways. So, by way of background, in Columbus, I can hear a couple of dozen radio stations. Several of them have the same programs. If I choose clear channel, I can hear Rush Limbaugh across the dial. Now, we used to have classical music in Columbus available on WOSU-FM all day, But recently, WOSU-FM started broadcasting the same NPR morning and afternoon programs that are already on WOSU-AM and WCBE-FM. Now we've got three stations, all with the same programs. So it seems to me that broadcast, whether it's commercial or non-commercial, is simply trying to commit suicide. Today, listeners have more choices than we have ever had. We can take a CD to work. We can take a CD in the car. We can use an iPod at home, at work, or in the car. We can listen to any of XM Radio's 100-plus signals. Now, granted, you do have to pay for that 10 bucks a month or less. You can record XM Radio or Sirius for use later. You can listen to podcasts live, or you can copy them to disk for use later. So no longer do we have to listen to whatever our favorite radio station happens to have on the air at the time. And this means old media are facing a troubling future. Newspapers seem to have figured this out, and they're handling it better than broadcast facilities do. Now this may be because newspapers have been in trouble for longer than broadcast has. In 2007, the New York Times scrapped its paid service and made everything available for free via the web. International broadcasters, such as the BBC, provide podcasts of many of their spoken programs. Most radio stations, though, provide at best streaming audio. That's not enough. Those of us with a broadband connection, and that's now more than half of us, have figured out that we can listen to programs when we want to listen to them. We can time-shift those programs. We are in control. According to a Wikipedia article, podcasting's initial appeal was to allow individuals to distribute their own radio-style shows, but the system quickly became used in a wide variety of other ways, including the distribution of school lessons, official and unofficial audio tours of museums, conference meeting alerts and updates, and also by police departments to distribute public safety messages. Although podcasting shares some of the attributes of broadcasting, some of the attributes of blogging, some of the attributes of website presentations, it is none of these. And no, you don't need an iPod to listen to a podcast. The POD in podcast is an acronym for Portable On Demand, so Apple had nothing to do with it, although Apple's iTunes Store is an easy way to obtain a lot of podcasts. And I hadn't paid a lot of attention to podcasts in the early days. In those days, when I did listen to them, they generally sounded like they'd been prepared using a $5 microphone and that they had been prepared by somebody who didn't have a clue how to do a broadcast. Things have changed. I took more interest in the process when, in early 2006, WTVN decided to replace local programming on Sunday morning with a mashup of an hour's worth of programming from the Farm Bureau and other network programming. So that left technology corner without a home. Well, podcasting turns out to be just another way of making information available to the people who want it, and after two years of podcasting TechBiter Worldwide, I've decided that it's actually better than broadcasting, and that's not putting some sort of political spin on it either. To broadcast a program, I had to get up at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning and drive to the radio station. The program ran an hour... So it took at least two hours out of my Sunday mornings just to get there and get home. Joe Bradley and I had to fit what turned out to be about 22 minutes worth of technology content, around 38 minutes worth of news, sports, weather, and commercials. We got the smaller piece of the pie. The program had an audience of about 25,000 people. Although few were really concentrating on the program, and that was obvious, they listened just to have chatter in the background. Those who were actually interested in the content of Technology Corner had to be ready to listen at 8 a.m. Sunday morning. I was amazed when one man wrote to say that he had changed the time he went to church so that he could hear the program every week. Technology Corner could be heard throughout Ohio and in parts of Michigan, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Kentucky, and Indiana. Well, now that the program is called TechBiter Worldwide, things have changed. I prepare the recorded podcast and upload it at a time that is convenient for me. Usually that's Friday evening, sometimes Saturday, or real early Sunday morning. I don't have to drive anywhere anymore. The program is usually 18 to 25 minutes long, or about as much time as we had on the air. But I have as long as I need to discuss the topic of the week in as much detail as seems appropriate, and there are no commercial interruptions. I don't really know how large the audience is, but I do know that website traffic is now about 50% higher than it was during the day's Technology Corner was on WTVN. In addition, everybody who listens is actually interested in what the content is. Nobody downloads a podcast just for chatter. Even better, people can listen whenever it's convenient for them, Sunday morning at 8 a.m., if they wish, Wednesday afternoon, Saturday at midnight makes no difference. The podcast is available anytime and anywhere there's an Internet connection. And because of the Internet, TechBiter Worldwide has listeners in Europe, Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and of course throughout the Americas. That is, in fact, why I changed the name. Podcasting means that content providers can create more content in less time and that listeners can hear more content in less time. As an old-time radio guy, I can tell you there is something magic about a big transmitter that sends your voice out for people to hear 150 miles away. But there is something equally magic about preparing a podcast that is listened to throughout the world. As for radio, people aren't abandoning it for podcasts as much as they're being pushed away. Tune across the dial today and you'll find the same talking heads several places on the dial. I grew up in a small town in northwest Ohio. If I didn't like what the local radio station was playing, and we had just one local radio station, it was just an AM station at the time, eventually they added FM. If I didn't like what they were playing, I could listen to stations in Columbus, Dayton, Fort Wayne, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, Windsor, and Cincinnati. At night, I could add Minneapolis, Boston, New York, Nashville, St. Louis, and sometimes Dallas, and of course that big station that claimed to be in Del Rio, Texas, but was actually a 500,000 watt transmitter across the border in Mexico. Every signal was different. Today, most of those stations are still audible, but they all have the same programming, the same commercial, the same sounds. Why should I bother? Podcasts bring back the Variety. If you're thinking about adding to The Variety and you want to create your own podcast, they are easy and pretty inexpensive to create. You don't need a $500 microphone, but you really should plan to spend at least 30 bucks. You don't need a $6,000 audio console. Software ranging from free to just a few hundred dollars will provide all the capabilities you need. You certainly don't need a $10,000 digital recorder. You already have a Windows, Mac, or Linux PC that will do the job just fine. And you don't need a $50,000 transmitter or a $500,000 array of towers and antennas because you have the Internet. What you will need is a hosting service, and you can do that for about $100 a year. To create a podcast, you need really just three things. A good microphone, a good sound editing program that can create an MP3 file, and a quiet environment. Now, A few other niceties are helpful. A microphone stand, for example, and a pop filter for the microphone. Although you could, you don't need to spend $5,000 for a microphone, but do plan to spend more than $5. The microphone is the single most important technical component. Start your search by limiting it to a cardioid pattern microphone. You will do well with a microphone in the $50 to $200 range. The cardioid pattern is the best selection in most cases because it hears sound in a relatively tight, heart-shaped pattern, hence the name. Uh, that is my preference because it gets rid of background noise and noise that would have come from the from the side. Microphones have different kinds of pickups. A pickup is what actually hears the sound and converts it to electricity. The ones that you typically look at for a podcast would be a condenser microphone, an electret microphone, or a dynamic microphone. A condenser microphone is probably the best choice if you can afford it. Also, sometimes called a capacitor microphone, you'll need a power supply for the microphone. Although some do allow for the use of an internal battery, and some recording equipment, typically the professional stuff, provides phantom power to those microphones. The AKG C1000s, a good choice, 150 to 200 dollars. This is in fact the microphone I use, and I like it because I can change the pattern between cardioid and supercardioid. There's another good choice, costs a little bit less, the Shure PG-58. Electret microphones have kind of a bad reputation because in the early days, they were used in consumer devices, and they sounded cheap because they were cheap. They're smaller than condenser mics, usually powered by one internal battery or by the console. An Electret microphone is a little more fragile than a condenser microphone usually. The Shure SM94 at $250 probably would be overkill for most podcasters, but you'll find a variety of Electret mics, including some sub-miniature lapel-mount microphones, for less than $100. Probably the best choice for most people would be a dynamic microphone. These are sturdy. They're often the kind that reporters carry around with them, particularly radio reporters, because they can be dropped repeatedly with little damage. Consider for example the Audio Technica AR20. Cost about 30 bucks. It is rugged. It has a hypercardioid pattern. It would serve you very well. So the bottom line on a microphone if you're on a tight budget, dynamic cardioid. Keep that in mind. If you have a more flexible budget, condenser or electret, but cardioid pattern regardless. And you should invest in three other relatively inexpensive items for the microphone, a desk stand, a windscreen, And a pop filter. If you try to hand-hold the microphone, you're going to get noise during the podcast. Your ring may tap against the microphone's shell, or you're going to move it, and the microphone cable is going to hit something or is going to creak or clunk against where it connects to the microphone itself. That noise gets transmitted so you want to eliminate those sources of noise. Just put the microphone on a desk stand, then put the desk stand on a thick paperback book, or what I use, very handy, a foam mouse pad. The goal is to avoid transmitting any unwanted vibrations to the microphone. You don't want noise. And many microphones come with a windscreen already. That's a foam covering that protects the microphone from the sound of wind. It will help you to eliminate the popping sounds caused by the plosives in our language, P-T-D-B. P is probably the worst of the bunch. Many microphones already will have a windscreen as part of the kit, but you should also get a pop filter, and this is typically a piece of cloth that is stretched in front of the microphone. It provides improved protection against plosives. These two items together aren't going to cost you more than about 50 bucks. When it's time to create the podcast... Script it. If this year's strike by television writers proved anything, it proved how important a script is. When you listen to the news on radio, you can be sure that somebody wrote it, and that the newscasters are reading it. In fact, I am reading this presentation, and at the Columbus Computer Society, I read this presentation. Why? It's important to cover all the important topics, to do it in the most organized way possible, and to do it in the least time possible. Now, if you're the one person in 10,000 who can stand up in front of an audience and ad-lib in a way that your message is clear, feel free not to write your podcast. I am not one of those people. Most of my broadcast career was spent in news departments, and in news departments, every word we say is scripted. TechBiter Worldwide turns out to be a combination of scripting and ad-libbing. The open and close are scripted, for the body of the program, I work for material on the website, sometimes reading, sometimes paraphrasing, sometimes ad-libbing some occasional new material. Because it's not a live program, I can always eliminate any particularly stupid ad-libs. But I start with a script. It helps me stay on track, on message, and on target. Few people can speak extemporaneously and make sense. As I said, if you're one of them, congratulations. If not, write a script. But make sure you are familiar with the script so that you don't sound like you are reading it. I mentioned you need a pop filter. Here's why. In the old days, when microphones were fragile, engineers placed the microphones and the announcers kept their distance. Now, the talent typically handles the microphone and we work close. I'm speaking into the microphone and I'm about three inches away. So the pop filter is absolutely necessary. Of course, the pop filter could be eliminated if I worked the microphone from further away. Just stand back. Well, of course I could do that. When you get too far from the microphone, two bad things happen. First, background noise is going to increase. Any sound in the room will be much more audible. And second, I lose the presence, presence that enhances the effect that I'm talking to just a single person. When people meet me, they often say something along the lines of, You don't sound like you do on the radio. Well, that's true. And here's how I explain it. I do this particularly if the person who said that is both female and cute. I say, put your ear here, and I point to a space about half an inch in front of my mouth. And then I speak quietly into her ear. That's radio. That's podcasting. Presence enhances the effect that you are talking to just the listener. Singular. The best radio performers have always known that their audience may be numbered in the hundreds, thousands, or millions, but people listen alone. So the conversation has to be between two people, and it is a conversation, not an oration. Talk to me. So you'll be working the microphone close. To record the podcast and generate the MP3 file that you'll upload to a website, you're going to need a recording program. These range in price from free, nice price, to several hundred dollars. I use Sony's SoundForge, formerly known as the Sonic Foundry SoundForge. It's about a $300 application, widely available for around $250. But Sony does offer a slimmed-down version called SoundForge Audio Studio. It's under $70 and has everything you'd need for podcasting. leaves out some of the high-end features. Alternatively, you might want to use the open-source Audacity. It's free. The interface is a lot more primitive, but the features you need are all there. Audacity runs on Windows machines, Macs, and also on Linux computers. When you're recording, record at a relatively low level. Loud is good, but only if it's clear, and when a signal is too loud, clipping results, and most people would call that distortion. It's important to know that I am not an audio engineer, and I'm not familiar with all of the technical considerations behind what happens, but I can tell you that digital recording is totally unforgiving in a way that analog recording seemed not to be. Audio begins as an analog signal at the microphone. It is converted to digital by the sound card's analog-to-digital converter. One important difference between analog recording and digital recording is the lack of noise. If you've ever recorded on tape and you recorded a soft signal and tried to boost the volume, you heard that sound, that's tape hiss. There's all that noise down on the floor, recording folks call it the floor, of the tape. Digital doesn't have that because there is no tape. So a quiet digital signal can be boosted several dB. And then normalize to create a robust output signal that doesn't clip. So in this case, it's always a good idea to record at a level that appears to be too low. If you've recorded on analog, on tape in the past, you know that you typically wanted to record as loud as possible. With digital, it's just the reverse, because once clipping has occurred, you're never going to be able to fix that signal. So in plain English, record so that the loudest part of the signals are no louder than about Minus 6 dB, that's down from the reference 0 dB point. During the time you're recording, you want to eliminate anything that makes noise. Close the door, let people know that you're going to be recording and that they should come in only if the house has caught fire. While you're recording, if a dog starts barking, a fire truck runs by, you suffer a sneezing fit, the phone rings, the cat jumps up on the desk and decides to meow or rub his face on the microphone, stop recording. You can do that. You'll edit the program later to eliminate the interruption. Your goal is to sound as much as possible like a professional broadcaster. So that's why I recommend using a decent microphone. It's why you'll edit the recording to eliminate noise and any other problems. The next step is going to be to create an MP3 file. You'll be offered some setting choices, mono or stereo. That's an easy one. Unless you need stereo, choose mono. File size is smaller. Then you're going to be offered a bitrate and a sampling number. Anywhere from 8 kilobits per second at 11 kilohertz, that's going to produce a small file that won't sound very good. Up to 128 kilobits per second at 44 kilohertz, that'll produce a large file that will sound very good. Larger files do sound better, but they take up more space on the server, they require longer to download, and if someone is on a slow connection, it will stutter. So currently, what I use for TechBiter Worldwide is 34 kilobits per second bitrate, 22 kilohertz sampling, 16-bits depth. You will actually upload two files, the MP3 that you created, that's the audio, and then an XML format file with an RSS extension. That's what actually contains the description of the podcast channel and each podcast program or item in XML terms. The XML file has to be edited in a plain text editor notepad, for example, and the XML standard is extremely strict. Fortunately, Apple's iTunes store has all of the information you'll need to write a good XML file. And Apple will act as your agent to advertise and make the podcast available. You're still going to need to obtain server space and upload the files, but that's not going to cost you any more than $5 to $10 a month. So if you're a subject matter expert or you just want to try your hand at podcasting, give it a try. It's easy. No nerdly news this week because we're already running just a little long, so thanks for listening. This has been TechBiter Worldwide for the week of March 23rd, 2008. I'm Bill Blinn. Don't forget, check out the website, www.techbiter.com, and you can send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.